Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and I am joined today by Philip Wilkerson. He's an employer engagement consultant at GMU Career Services. Now, in this role, he serves as a liaison between employers and the community, the GMU community, to make sure that the career opportunities that he finds, that they are aligned with people who are actually looking for jobs and internships, including students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Phil, welcome to Motivational Mondays. Thank you so much. I'm really a pleasure. I'm really excited to be here. As uh, you know, I actually been following, I think I connected with you earlier on LinkedIn, and I really do want to give a good shout out to the NSLS because I'm also the faculty advisor for the organization here at GMU. Oh, wow. Wonderful. We th- well, thank you. We appreciate that. And um, we always love the support. And just to make sure everyone knows, GMU, that's George Mason University in Virginia? That is correct. Uh, George Mason University, large research one institution right outside D.C. and Fairfax, Virginia, up and coming. Well, we, I like to say we're up and coming. We've been around for about 50 years. We just celebrated our 50 years. And we're probably one of the largest institutions in the state of Virginia with about a enrollment of 40,000 or close to 40,000. We're growing. Uh, it's It's rapid, rapid growth. That's wonderful. Congratulations on that growth and expansion. Uh, you know, we are also at the NSLS. We are growing, expanding as well, more global now with our first international chapter. So uh, we're sort of on that growth journey with you. And it's great to uh, have you here today. Now, I do want to just also mention, I'm kind of, lo- I'm not close to Virginia, but I am in Delaware today doing this podcast. So we're somewhat uh, close as well. But to kick things off, though, I want to ask you first, do you mind, is it Philip or Phil? Do you have a preference for either? I love it. I love when people ask me that. Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, Phil or Philip is fine with me as long as you spell Philip with one L. That's the only <laughs> thing. That's my pet peeve. Okay. Um, you can call me Phil. You can call me Philip. I just, you know, it's one of those things where you remember when you email someone and then they respond. I was like, I put my name in the signature. Like, so, I know, so you, right, you, can, right. you can interchange it. Uh, my mom calls me Phil, uh, my, you know, because I'm my dad is named Phil. My wife calls me Philip. I, I, I answer to both. Okay, super. Well, I promise that I will uh, at least spell it right and um, not also spell it with the UP at the end, because that's also an option. You are IP at the end. So, so, but Phil, to kick things off, you know, I like to always give the audience a little bit of a a bit of a background of the person that's not all just academic. You also have a podcast. So I want to make sure that we talk about that. It's called Positive Filter. And I would love for you to share a bit of what your podcast is about. So as, as it is, it's positive and then the filter spelled with a PH, but also meaning filter as in the lens in which you look at world, right? So I like to look at a lens from a growth mindset, a positive mindset, uh, even with challenges and adversity, we look at what can we overcome? So, I, you know, I try not to like, you know, be toxic positive, but I try to look at the, the life in the world as a glass uh, half full um, that, you know, even in adversity, there's resilience. So I started the podcast uh, going on almost six years. I was under fulfilled in one of my previous employment. So previous employment, I love Mason. 
And I was trying to motivate myself. And so what I would do is I would do random ramblings of Philip Wilkerson. I would talk in my car on my phone and upload it to YouTube. So if you look up random ramblings of Philip Wilkerson, they're still there. <laughs> and I realized that was boring. Like I'm just sitting in my car, right? That's not exciting. So I reached out to one of my friends, Sam Nang. I said, wow, I want to take this meeting. I still want to do positive. I still want to talk, but I don't think sitting in my car, I heard of this thing called podcast. And for me, I heard of them. I thought it was like your own radio show. I wasn't familiar at all. I just heard the word. Everyone was saying podcast, but I had no clue what it meant. Mm-hmm. I never actually really listened to it as much. And he put me on with one of his friends who was more established podcaster named Dean Picari. And that gentleman spoke to me for about two hours about what it is, ins and outs. And I think a lot of people would say, like, did you start a podcast that week? Well, the funny thing is, I remember recording my first episode and... I believe December 2016, I had it recorded and I sat on it until April 2017. So if you count, that's over close to five months. And because I was imposter syndrome, I was nervous about talking, which is funny because we're talking right now. And then once it once I did it, I just it took off. It's been something where I get to connect with people. I've had my family had my father, had my father-in-law had, you know, the president, that the former president of Mason. So guest all over the place. If you want to talk, just go on Positive Filter. But I think the main point of that is no matter what we talk about in my podcast, whether it's your career or family life and all that, we try to really reframe it and not just be like complaining or venting. More so like, what we learn? What was the lesson we learned? What is the positive, positive aspect that we can grow? And it's just been a really good, you know, thing for me a really passion project, as you say. Oh, I love that. And it's really great to also stress another lesson that you just shared in that, which is don't procrastinate. If you have an idea and you want to do something and I, and you mentioned the imposter syndrome, which so many of us have as well, thinking that we're, you know, not that we don't belong in a space, don't that we shouldn't be there or how to even begin to be, to, to get started in that space. Just start and you can fine tune and modify what you're doing along the way. That is the most important thing I've, I've discovered. So thank you for, for sharing that too. Now, also you were recently named uh, on the 40 under 40 list for GMU black alumni, uh, 40 under 40 for the Northern Virginia area through the leadership center for excellence. And you're a recipient for the pillar award, which is a award given to GMU staff members who support black students. So in your support of black students, I was wondering what are some of the specific tasks in that role when you lend that support to, to that particular demographic specifically? So this is a video podcast, correct? Correct. So as you can see, I'm black. <laughs> like I and I say that because, um, you know, for me, I grew up in Northern Virginia. I was born in my military brats, but we ended up in Northern Virginia, went to high school around here, went to local universities. And I always remember those ahead of me, those educators ahead of me that took their extra time outside of their role to support me. You know, it wasn't like just the curriculum and the things they taught me. It was that they went above and beyond. You know, um, I could just name so many. Mark Holbrook, Art Dean at, at JMU, Sean Bates. These are just names, like you know, black men that went out of their role. They worked as educators, but they did extra things like had an all black male class that I was in uh, support in high school or had all these initiatives at JMU that I was a part of. And so when I got to Mason, 
you know, I don't think I was naturally going to reach out and say, let me just start supporting black students. Right. I think just it happened organically. Right. Like I would do my normal job and help students on their appointments, resumes and cover letters. But I would just stay in touch. You know, I would I would see them out. You know, I think a lot of educators make sure I tell them, like, get out and about, like, you know, go to their events, support them, show up at the step shows like, you know, a proud member of Alpha Phi Alpha. So I definitely had to show yeah. out. But yeah. just see you as a human being outside of that. And then I believe the the trajectory where this really exploded for me to really help was that in, I believe, the summer of 2019, I was approached by two separate organizations to be their faculty advisor. The person, the predecessor, had left over the summer. And when he left, you know, get a new job, these slots were open for faculty advisors for the IOTA Alpha chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated and the GMU chapter of the NAACP. Mm. And if they didn't have an advisor, they were going to be defunct. Um, you had to have an uh, employee of Mason, a staff member, sign off and be supporting a student organization, similar to what I did for the NLS. So we jumped to that too later. And so I was like, I've never been an advisor before. Are you sure you got the right person? And it was funny because both groups, well, the the organization, the frat, they knew me from being a member of the frat. So they were like, you, you're good. We need an advisor. You're one of us because you're just a part of our frat, just older. But the NAACP was the one where I really, really think they changed my trajectory. I remember getting an email from two student leaders, Dominique Dowling and Shelby Adams. And they reached out and they said, Philip, if we do not have an advisor by the upcoming fall semester over that summer, we're going to, we're going to lose, we're going to decharter or whatever. We can't do it. And I was like, I, I don't know anything about the NAACP. I thought it was just for Al Sharpton, you know, like I, <laughs> like I never had a, I, I was never a card carrying member of the NAACP or anything, but I said, okay, uh, come meet me in my office and let me learn, like teach me, you know, tell me a little bit more about what I need to do. <laughs> These student leaders came in full professional suits with a notebook and they were pitching me, Mr. Wilkerson, Mr. Wilkerson. And I was like, I was like, hold up, wait, wait a minute. What high school did y'all go to? And Shelby said, oh, I went to South County, which is near where I was. I was like, I went to Mount Vernon, like in the area. Do you know, do you know anyone from Mount Vernon? And you lo and behold, she shared someone that like was her older sister's friend that was my friend in high school. Mm. And I said, no matter what, you know, you teach me what I gotta do, I'll support you. And because of them, I actually got more involved in the NAACP myself. Mm -hmm. I actually joined and became an adult member for Fairfax County. These student leaders went on to become SGA presidents of the whole school, just running it, uh, just doing everything. And I realized at that moment that supporting black students doesn't always have to be this crazy, really strategic. Uh, I'm going to reach out and do all this. It's literally just being accessible and helpful mm. and just saying, what you got, what, you know, I will help you in any way I can within my capacity and bandwidth, you know, like I'll talk to your professors if you need me to. And I, I've done that, you know, when students say, you know, I'm struggling in class, uh, you know, my mother uh, passed away. Can you just write an email on my behalf and, and advocate for me? And I've done that. And, and then the professor said, yeah, thank you so much for letting me know, hmm. you know, I'll let them slide on assignments, but, you know, thank you for keeping me in the loop. I'll write you any recommendation you want. You know, put my name on it. If you want an internship, I'll write your letter of recommendation. I've done like countless of those. 
if you just want to get my input on events, like, and things that you want to do, like, I'm not going to micromanage, just say, Hey, what, what would you do in this scenario? And I realized that just being accessible has allowed me to help black students like myself. And literally I don't do anything. I just show up. And I will say this right now, the students that I've helped, the student leaders that I've, you know, helped and support, <laughs> I wish I could just put myself in their bodies when I was their age. Cause I was literally not this. Uh, I find it, I find it so funny to be on the other side and say, you know, I'm like the uncle now. I'm Uncle Phil. Yeah. And I'm supporting them and I'm actually turning into the people that, that were like, I'm turning into the Mark Holbrooks and the Sean Bates and the Art Deans where they were just being themselves as educators, but they were accessible. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's, that's one thing that happened, especially for black students, particularly. Yeah. Well, that's amazing because it also speaks to mentorship. Uh, you know, you're a mentor in that capacity as well. And you're benefiting other students now because of that mentorship that you know you had when you were younger. And that's really big for the NSLS too, as you know, mentorship is really important for us, but also the internships are really important. So I'm glad you brought that up. And so what role, I guess, does internships play in landing a career opportunity for the people that you're assisting, the students and the, the faculty and staff? Well, so one, as you said earlier, I'm an employer engagement consultant. So what that means is that, you know, in our office, we have two facets. We have those in my office that actually are called career advisors that actually meet the students one-on-one and do career advising, resumes, cover letters, and then we have me. And so basically in my role, I serve as a liaison to those external employers saying they're looking to recruit. So they, they, you know, name a company. They say, hey, we're looking to recruit engineers, all this and different majors, either at full-time staff or as interns. And what I do is I make sure that we're not a job placement or intern placement office. I just make sure that I built enough relationships that when an organization externally comes to me, I know who to pass, you know, pass them to like, Hey, we need engineers. Okay. Here's one of my contacts at the school of engineering. I'm going to send your position description and all that to their school to put on their listserv and all that. And so that's that role, you know, where I'm point guarding and making sure that one, I'm, I'm plugged in and attuned to what's going on to the university, but two, making sure I can build that bridge between the employers. Now, in regards to your student experience, I always say don't wait to create. Getting internships, experiential learning. I think what we like to say at our office particularly is that before you graduate, you should have at least two meaningful experiences outside the classroom. And when we mean by two, you know, meaningful experiences, they could be like student leadership organizations, jobs and internships, study abroad, a service learning trip, something outside the classroom. Now, the biggest one, though, and we can't say without really the probably the biggest one, though, the, to for your career trajectory is the job and internship. Right. It is an opportunity for students to take what they learn and actually get hands on real time experience implementing that what they learn in the real working world right it's almost like a test run and so i tell students don't wait like a lot of the misnomer is that you have to be a senior or junior to obtain these internships i think there's all different levels that you should you know if you're a freshman you come in as a freshman obviously do well your freshman first semester but by that first semester after you get some classes under your belt you 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 are more than qualified to start applying for these internships, whether they're during the semester that you're working in, maybe whether they're over the summer, 
whether they're, you know, year long, semester long, there's, there's a variety, but you should start getting that concrete experience outside the classroom to make yourself marketable uh, to employers. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And I always tell people as well, young people, when they're doing internships that once they land an internship, be vocal about wanting to be hands-on. I know very often companies will get interns and they really sometimes, well, I don't say often, but they sometimes don't know what to do with them. Okay. We've got an intern now. So, you know, what are we going to do with them? Well, put them to work. That's, (laughs) that's the simplest answer. But I also tell people who are in internships to make sure their talents and skills are known to the employer because very often they may need something done and you may know how to do it and you can position yourself as their go-to and that could actually help you land actual work, right? After the internship, they may consider you uh, even more for that role. So yeah, internships are, are really, really important. And I know you do this across all industries, right? I mean, you pretty much are working with various companies from, like entertainment, media, arts, I mean, everything. Like what are some of the brands, or not brands, but the the industries you work across? So, yeah, thank you. Uh, one, uh, you try to take my job because you're a career professional. You know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I would say one thing too is like, just make sure like, don't just go to an internship and just do busy work and just get coffee. You know, like make sure it's right. meaningful. Like, you know, if you're a student that's, trying to get an internship in film, make sure you're not just getting coffee, that you're editing videos or something like using those skills that you actually learn. Yeah. But uh, the industries that are in my purview is media, arts, design, sports and rec, hospitality and tourism, and tech and engineering, which is a mouthful. So, that, you know, it could be like I've met with the uh, the Washington Nationals, you know, in the sports and rec. I met with, you know, the, the, uh, the BAE systems, the engineering, well, hospitality, tourism, the Hilton, the Marriott's. So just those different organizations as they relate to their recruitment needs. I'll be honest with you too. It's not even so siloed. We like to say that skills are across industries. So like, okay, let's say tourism, hospitality and tourism, right? We only think Hilton only wants people for events and booking people and all that. Actually, they need accountants. They need engineers for software, because as they move into the future, they're going to start doing more things with an app. So even in all my industries, skills vary across, right? Like the nationals, the nationals need, you know, people to sell tickets and what, and the, you know, game day engagement, or maybe people to do, you know, videography and all those things, but then they also need accountants and they also need statisticians. So when you, when I like work with students, when I, when I used to work with students, I used to say, you know, don't pigeonhole yourself that because you have this major, that is only this career. Because with the skills, you can go to multiple different things, right? That's one. Yeah. And then on the inverse, as I do a lot more, as you said, like, I have to do a little bit of employer education, right? Like, don't be so siloed that when you're looking to fill a position, that the only school that we're going to send this position to is the engineering school. Maybe we send this position because you're looking, or let's say they're looking for someone in marketing, right? An organization is, and they're saying, can you just send this to the business school for the marketing students? I said, yeah, I will. But let's also send this to the English majors. Mm-hmm. Let's also send this to the comm majors because regardless of the diploma, the English majors know how to write <laughs> and that's good for marketing. Uh, the comm students. So it's, it's, it's education on both ends and being able to open both eyelids to both that you know, a variety of industries, a, vi- a variety of experiences that we don't want to pigeonhole ourselves. Now, let's say, you know, be honest, though, if it's a really technical thing, it probably is, you know, more lenient. Like if they have like a real software need, 
more likely that student that they want is in that certain discipline. But mm. I think, you know, still being, it's a yes. And like, I'll send it to them what they want to, but also just like send it to other places. You never know. You might get that unicorn. Oh yeah. That's amazing. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because there's always these nonlinear career paths as well. People take. And I think you're right. Like sometimes companies are so used to looking at things on, on paper that they are missing people who maybe aren't traditional or maybe didn't get there a certain way. And I've had the opportunity to hire people who on, you know, on resume, they didn't look like they worked, but there was something that I saw in them and I gave them the opportunity. And it was the best decision I've made because it started their careers and they did become, you know, the rock star that I had thought they could. So yeah, I mean, I'd love that you're educating the employers as well as the interns when it comes to that. And that's also a topic about leadership as well. And I know that, you know, that's a big part of what you also discuss. A strong leader is a kind leader. That's one of the platforms that you really believe in. So speak a little bit to that. I just realized as I dive in, I'm a really a part of a, a committee at Mason called Mason Chooses Kindness. And what that does is on purpose, we want to embed kindness and acts of kindness throughout the campus. Because as you know, with kindness, rather, while there is, you know, the foo-foo, warm and fuzzies, there's actually a psychological benefit to kindness, right? What does it do? Uh, people want to stay, <laughs> right, right? What does it also do? If people are kind, they actually work harder because they feel appreciated. And then also, what is the benefit of kindness? Is that it recruits other people because, you you know, they become ambassadors. So I used to think now, as I th- investigated and learned about the, the benefits, I uh, took a science of happiness course through edX that was put on by the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley. I realized that there is a productivity, real tangible benefit to being kind. And particularly as a leader, you know, I think the things that we learn about kind leaders is one, people trust them. You know, they they feel psychologically safe under a kind leader. They realize that they can make st- mistakes under a kind leader and learn from their mistakes rather than be, you know, smacked, you know, down or, or talked to any type of way. When they have a kind leader, they'll go through a brick wall for them because they realize that that person values them. So, you know, they're like, wow, that leader was kind. And that's like, like when I think about kindness too, I don't want it to be like, just like, you know, corny kindness. I meant like just authentic. I care about someone else. I have compassion. I really actually want to invest and be, you know, uplifting the people, right? I think we only think kindness is like thank you notes and hugs and all that. But <laughs> kindness, kindness can also just be like day-to-day small things. Like, Corey, I saw when you did this, you did very well. And I really appreciate that. I, and I think that you're an example for the other people in the office, right? That is an act of kindness. And it didn't come off as corny. That's just authentic, right? And so I think kindness as a leader really kind of goes along with emotional intelligence, goes along with empathy, goes along with compassion. And then it also, if you really want to talk about the bottom dollar, it makes you execute better. Like your team is going to be stronger because they feel better. <laughs> like they feel mm-hmm. they actually want to be there. They feel engaged. They feel seen and heard. So I think kindness is probably one of the most important leadership traits and in a sense of really thinking and thoughtful kindness, not just Hallmark birthday card kindness, but real authentic care and compassion for those that you work with. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. That's wonderful because I think that carries into real life as well. 
not just in the work environment. I mean, literally just go out in the world and treat people the way you want to be treated. And it's so simple. <laughs> and I, it's funny that people get that wrong so often. So, um, yeah, it's a really simple thing to do. Uh, just, you know, treat people accordingly. And then hopefully we can all have a more harmonious relationship in general. And I know you also talk about something too that's important for you, which is visualization, the power of long-term goal setting through visualization. So speak a little bit about your feelings on that. So, you know, as you can see behind me, I have a vision board um, right there. I believe that see it and you achieve it, but also like kind of like the Bible verse, and I don't want to get it wrong, but like, you know, <laughs> words without deeds is dead or something like that. Meaning like, even if I visualize it, I got to put it down on paper. Even if I visualize it and put it down on paper, it has to, you know, follow up with some real actions. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm all about like seeing it and visualizing and setting goals and saying, you know, using my vision board and, and thinking about it, but also I follow up with real concrete actions, day-to-day -day actions. And I think the part, the power of this vision board that I have behind me is it does, it's almost like a psychological trigger to remind myself, am I doing the actions that I set? Mm -hmm. So when I see a picture or see an image on my vision board, that I have behind me, it reaffirms that, am I doing what I say I want to do or what I say I'm going to be about or the person I want to be day to day. So it's almost like a, just a mental trigger. I do one now every year. I started doing it like during the pandemic. My first vision board was in 2020-ish, maybe 21. I can't believe they all melted into each other. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I really don't remember. But I just remember like, Giving it a shot, you know, saying, wow, this is kind of corny. These, these, the vision board, these vision board activities is corny. Like this is something I wouldn't do. And then I told you, I did it. I committed to it once. And I did it with one of my friends, Dorothy Hayden. I said, if you do a vision board and I do a vision board and we actually do it and actually write out the goals that we have, not only are we going to keep each other accountable, we're also going to see how we're doing. And after one year, that's when I hit that 40 under 40, you know, for mm -hmm. Northern Virginia and all that. And it wasn't anything crazy. It was just more like I was doing the actions that I, I, I put in my head, you know, like the I, I spoke to myself and mm -hmm. I but I didn't just speak to myself and say, that's it. I spoke to myself and say, OK, I got to do it. I spoke to myself and say, I got to, you know, try harder on this. And so I think it's a combination. You know, the power of the mind is crazy. Right. You know, like Drake said, the power of the mind is no joke. You know, mm -hmm. and I said and I said I did. Right. I don't know. I thought Drake, Drake <laughs> is talking about visualization there. Right. You know, yeah. but you picture it like everyone does it. Everyone dreams. Everyone pictures things. I think the only part, though, is that we think dreams stay in our dream subconscious and we don't put it into reality. Like we don't do things. And it's with the vision board. It wasn't like I just overhauled my life and did everything all at once. Right. It was just little things like walk more. Be, like I had a word kindness. Right. Kindness meant, okay, when I was getting really frustrated, I would look at that word, I look at the word kindness, and I'm like, is the thing I'm about to do or say going to be kind? And I'll say no. And I was like, all right, maybe I won't do it. Mm. And that's it. And it, over over time, it compounded on itself. So I, I totally, I bought into it. I bought into the vision boards. I bought into the power of visualization and goal setting. But I also bought into it because I actually live it. Now, I also say this too. I can put things on my vision board, and it didn't come true this year. And that's okay. I trust the process. So I don't think that, oh, like, because the one image that I put on my vision board didn't come true this year. I don't know. I don't know where, you know, life is going to end up. It might happen five years down the line. It might happen 10. I don't know. Maybe it'll never happen. 
That's okay. Because in my mind, I'm still, I think about it with that vision and that goal setting that in my mind, even if I don't actually fulfill the things I envision, I still took steps moving forward. So regardless of the image, I'm still in a better place than when I started. So even now I bought into that fact of visualize and move toward a vision, but it's okay if that vision never comes true because at the end of the day, I still I still advanced regardless. I still ended up in a better place. Phil Wilkerson, thanks for being here today and sharing your story with us. And we're going to make sure there's links to your podcast. And we hope to have a conversation with you again soon about what you're doing and what you're doing in the internship world. And of course, with the NSLS. So thank you for being here today. Well, thank you so much for connecting. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for this opportunity. As I said, I follow you on LinkedIn. I think you're doing great things. And I actually do subscribe to your YouTube. And I think you're doing wonderful things, elevating the voices of just everyone. So it's, I'm really excited. I was like, I've actually put it on my vision. I put it on my goal list to be on your show and bug somehow oh. find how to get on here. And I was like, you know, dreams come true. So I appreciate this. Thank you for, you know, making one of my, my year dreams come true today. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.